whether it be the Queen or Nelson Mandela or Stallone or Schwarzenegger or Bono or J.K. Rowling, or, and I met Michal Hartick as well and sat beside him in Croke Park while we both commentated on, on, on football and I couldn't believe that I had the opportunity to do it. All of those things, you know, it's, it's just a never-ending parade of mm. fabulous memories. But the next time I'm interviewed, I will say the highlight is talking to Connor Finn. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to another episode of Finterviews. I'm your host, Connor Finn, and this is a show where I get to chat to the most interesting people I know. This week, I was graced by someone who needs no introduction. Broadcast royalty and Northern Ireland sweetheart, it was, of course, the fabulous Frank Mitchell. We chatted all about Frank's fantastical journey from bedroom DJ to pirate radio Fibbing his way into a weather-presenting career on national broadcasters, the stunning highs and lows of his illustrious broadcasting career, rubbing shoulders with everyone from Bono, The Queen and Arnold Schwarzenegger, to sneaking an interview with none other than Nelson Mandela and unintentionally escorting Sylvester Sloan one night in Dublin. (laughs) Oh, I absolutely adored having the chats with Frank honestly he's someone I've looked up to for so long between UTV present the weather school around the corner he's one of those iconic names that I (laughs) never reckoned from starting the podcast I'd ever have the chance to chat to so being able to sit him down for an hour (laughs) which I don't think he was entirely prepared for was honestly such a dream come true and he was just an absolutely fabulous guest to have on the show. But without further ado, please enjoy this latest episode of Interviews with the wonderful Frank Mitchell. Well, welcome back to another episode of Interviews on the show this week. I am delighted to welcome onto the show the brilliant Frank Mitchell. How's it going, Frank? Connor, all is going well. Thank you very much for inviting me to be part of your podcast. I feel uh, very honoured. Um, an Arma man based in Dublin on the web talking to me. Uh, thanks for inviting me. <laughs> no, honestly, absolutely delighted. I was kind of saying there beforehand, um, sometimes I either send out random emails here and there. And uh, the fact that like someone like yourself, do you know what I mean? Somebody that I've grew up, you know, seeing on TV, radio, everywhere really you know um just one of those main ones from the childhood actually get back to me I was going uh oh shit uh so no honestly delighted that um you're <laughs> sitting down with me today honestly like um it's a pleasure to have you on um and how's everything going with yourself anyway we're just talking about like uh I'm taking you away from the sunshine today honestly like I'm uh, I, I, I hope I'm not mucking up anything else on your Wednesday everything's going grand is it Everything is absolutely fine. I've more time in the afternoon now as I've stepped away from doing the weather forecast. So I'm really working half a day as opposed to a full day. I still do the radio phone-in program in the mornings between at nine and noon on U105. But um, it took up a lot of time, the weather, for the best part of, what, 27 years. Mm. And now to have afternoons and evenings free, I'll tell you, um, it seems like as if God made more time than I first thought he did. <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah no instead of two jobs it's just the one funny enough yeah <laughs> yeah it's exactly i've i've uh, cut it down to just one job as opposed to what would be for anyone else two full-time jobs so i'm happy enough to, to still be doing what, I, what i'm doing you're, you're not even cutting it back you're just going to what everybody sees as normality in a sense so <laughs> 
which is true. Many people, a three-hour phone-in program is a full day's work. <laughs> and for the best part of, oh, I suppose I've been doing phone-in for about 16 years now. Uh, it was just an add-on to work mm. I already had. So uh, many a day I was working from eight in the morning to almost eight in the evening. And, um, you know, for a young fellow like me, that is just a little bit uh, too much. <laughs> and you know what? You've got plenty of time now making way for some charity work. You know, you're on the podcast. Do you know what I mean? This is uh, honestly, Frank, you're really just stepping out of your box now. But I suppose first and foremost, I mean, this sounds hilarious. I, the man that doesn't need any introduction, but for the rare occasion that somebody's listening to this, like some, some pleb lives under a rock or something. Who knows? <laughs> um, maybe give us a wee bit of an introduction about yourself. Obviously, you know, where you're from, a little bit about your background. Uh, you're kind of mentioned it there briefly, but, um, yeah, just, I suppose, summarize, um, cause I'm not gonna, uh, make a mistake what I've done with past guests and try to tell them what they do actually for work. So <laughs> I'll leave it up to you. <laughs> well, I, for, for the, Best part of uh, 34 years, I've been with UTV, uh, 27 years in front of the weather maps, 34 years with the company. Uh, Before that, I was with Downtown Radio as a presenter. And ahead of that, I was a BBC radio producer with Radio Ulster. And believe it or not, even before that, I was a radio presenter in Dundalk on Radio Carousel, which was one of the pirates back in the latter stages of the 1970s when I was a, a teenager. And I grew up in Burren in County Down, which is just across, really across Carlingford, a lock from County Loud. So I could always hear the pirate radio stations and I, I listened to them. And I, I, you know, I had a father who sold, my father and mother sold radios and televisions in a shop in Warren Point. But amazingly, and you'll be surprised by this being so young, until I was nine years old, I didn't have electric. We had no electric in the house. So we didn't have a television, but we did have a radio that ran off a battery. And I used to listen to a variety of radio presenters who were coming at me from all arts and parts. And um, I was always very impressed by what they did. And I would spend a lot of time outside, whether I was gardening or, you know, riding the bicycle or playing football, hmm. just mim- mimicking what I was hearing on the radio, you know, from all sorts of radio stations. I remember listening to like Radio 4 and hearing a guy who's long gone called William Hardcastle. Mm. And I'd be doing his voice, this is William Hardcastle, and later in today's world at one. And then I'd go to RTE to Don Coburn, the news at one thirty with Don Coburn. Good afternoon. <laughs> then I was going through all this nonsense about wanting to be uh, a radio presenter. And, you know, if there was Gaelic football on, I was listening to Michal O'Mara-Hertig, I was listening to Michal O'Hare, I was mimicking both of them, and mm. we turned from that to a guy you probably, probably you've never heard of, Tom Brown, who would say, it's no uh, well. six o'clock, <laughs> you, you bet you don't, it's six o'clock on Radio's 1 and 2, my name is Tom Brown, this is the Top 20, as compiled for the BBC and Music Week by the British Market Research Bureau. I was going through all this junk in my head, so I obviously wanted to work in broadcasting. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you very much summarise it up there pretty succinctly, Jesus. <laughs> no, I mean, there was one thing that caught me off there. You're presuming, you know, I'm too young to grow up with, you know, without electric. <laughs> I very much mentioned at the start of this, Frank, I'm from Armagh. So, I mean, we're about 20 years behind, really, in the, the best of things um, at the most times. But no, I suppose that's hilarious. Even, like, from that young age, you... That was kind of what I was going to present there, you know, ask you, was something you'd always gravitate towards. It's very much something that, you know, you, as you're saying, you're growing up, you're 
literally in you did you know you're just consuming this from all branches of all areas and it just seemed like something that was you know as I said always kind of on your mind I mean even there like there are some some beautiful beautiful representations of uh you know different radio stations <laughs> across the network but uh you were saying there initially you start off in pirate radio as well which is uh bit of a bit of a random one to you know <laughs> kick off and a lot of the times I've kind of chatted to other people and it'll usually be that you know route of some kind of hospital radio or you know somebody just fell into something else but uh you you really you know but went into a bit of a yeah <laughs> bit of slanted route did you <laughs> Well, I, the, the opportunity arose uh, to get onto a pirate radio station when I was a teenager. And I was already in my own head a radio presenter in my mm. bedroom because I had a tape recorder and I had a turntable. Now, we didn't have the internet, obviously, back then. Yeah. So if you did broadcast, you broadcast only to yourself. You put it onto a tape and you listened back to it and you thought, oh, yeah, that's improving. That's better than it was a fortnight mm. ago. So I heard the pirate radio station and I rang the boss of it. And I said to him that I was a nighttime DJ. Now, he thought I was a nightclub DJ. And I really, I was basically doing it in my, in my bedroom. And I remember the Belfast Telegraph interviewed me about how I got started in my career. And I explained that to them, that I was in the bedroom with the turntable, with the tape recorder, and basically talking. And then I phoned the radio station. And I really bluffed them into giving me a job. And the headline in the Belfast Telegraph was, Frank turns bedroom hobby into career. And I thought to myself, you know, that could have read better than that. <laughs> You're like, no, guys, I swear, I was, I, I was doing stuff before, beforehand. Yeah, this isn't just a hobby. Yeah, come on. <laughs> but you were going in there anyway, it's been like, yeah, nightclubs, you know, everything's been going on. I mean, what, what, what were the big ones in the day? I'm trying to even think of where that was big. Like, do you know what? We, we've had different nightclubs, Frank. I feel like I'd I, I just be poking in the dark here if I try to presume where I mean even a more important I, I wouldn't know where the ones would be going out there <laughs> well the, 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 it's still popular and I was the first DJ to work on it was the Marine Tavern in Warren Point Club Cherie the Marine Tavern it's still there it's not at the height it was hmm. During the, I suppose, the early stages of the millennium, uh, back when I was doing it, it was like the 1980s. It was booming in the 1990s. It's still, it's still very popular. And I, I did a lot of nightclub DJing. I eventually did that. Mm. But working on the pirate radio station was the big training ground. Mm. It was the opportunity to do real broadcasting to real people working with some incredibly competent presenters. I was absolutely learning on the job, but I was working alongside guys like the late Dave Scott, who came up from uh, Cork, who's such a fabulous presentation style. I was working, you know, with, with Ray Stone, who was a great presenter and very popular at that time uh, as well. And there's a whole series of other people who you were learning from. Mm. And I, I continued on the pirate radio station. As a matter of fact, that's where I was given the pseudonym because I'm, Mitchell is not my original surname. My surname is McClory. But on the pirate radio station, the boss in the roof space of the Dundalk Shopping Centre said to me, we got to give you a false name, boy. He was like, he was pseudo-American. He was from Dublin, but he was a larger-than-life man called Hugh Hardy. A fabulous, <laughs> fabulous man, Lord rest him. And he, he started to pull out country and western albums because he was hugely in, into country and western. 
And he says, we'll call you Frank Cash. Uh, and I said, no, we won't. Uh, Frank, Frank Carton, Frank Carton. And he pulled out Crystal Gale. And he said, what about Frank Gale? And he, he had Hank Snow. He said, what about Frank Snow? Now, I wasn't to know that, you know, I was going to be a weather presenter later. Either Gale uh, or, or Snow probably would have worked. But hmm. I glanced down at the death column of the Irish News and I saw Mitchell. And I said, what about Mitchell? And he said, yeah, Mitchell, that's who you'd be. From now on, and I come across some idiots sometimes who say to me, "Oh, you adopted the name Mitchell when you got to Belfast to get on with the unionist community." And mm. I, you know, I despair at that sort of oh, just nonsense. <laughs> but little do they know that a man in the roof space of a pirate radio station in Dundalk of all places gave me the name Mitchell. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, people are reading into it too much. You're going, no, Iders was, you know, th- th- this man just wanted me to pick, you know, something from something country and uh yeah just having that nothing sat with there so the vitries yeah that's where you went <laughs> yeah so i'm i'm not really alive at all i died even before i started because uh, <laughs> frank mitchell came straight off the death column but it, it has worked very well it has been something that i've been able to build on from pirate radio days mm. into uh, the bbc production years were a great benefit. I, I worked as the producer for Walter Love in the BBC. Mm. I first met Paul Clark when I was in the BBC. He was a young, a young presenter there. Mm. I, I, I st- I'm, I'm still very aware of some of the voices you hear behind the scenes in the BBC, like mm. David Oliver, who's still working as an announcer. And I, I worked with with him all those years ago as well. So to get from the BBC, thanks to the great assistance of a, another producer called Cherry McElwain, I managed to get into downtown radio as a presenter because I wanted to be a presenter. Hmm. And then I worked for both Downtown Radio and UTV at the same time as a program presenter and also as a continuity announcer. That's how I got into UTV. And one of the jobs I got after I got in was the the weather job. Yeah, exactly. I mean, just smooth sailing. Do you know what I mean? You start off pick a random name and go to run with this and then just kind of wormed your way through, you know, just the major broadcasters um, of the time. Do you know what I mean? You make it sound so handy. Like- <laughs> well, it, it was handy. I was walking down the corridor and the director in TV said to me, uh, Frank, could you present the weather? That's, that's what it involved. Could yeah. you present the weather? Because you're just walking past. And I went in to the program with which they were rehearsing for. It was a new program that was starting the following Monday and they hadn't got a weather presenter. Mm. And I went in and I stood in front of the weather maps and I did basically a, a weather forecast off the top of my head. Now, they did get some scripts sent to me for the real broadcast, but I had to do it day in, day out. And I, I was on air presenting. And after about two weeks, the head of personnel called me up and said, you know, he was a very sort of elderly man looking over his glasses. Mm. And he said to me, uh, young Mitchell, what qualifications do you have for presenting the weather? And I explained to him, I said, as part of, as part of my physics and maths degree, I, I did meteorology at, at university. Mm. He was really pleased with that. But I actually did physical education in English. But there was no <laughs> point there was no point in telling him that. You know, I'm a PE teacher. I'm a PE teacher. No, no. He didn't want to hear that, so I didn't tell him that. <laughs> it sounds like you've been fibbing your way for, for, for a while. Now honestly I'm not sure what to trust in this interview anymore. <laughs> well this is this is true. You know, I, I I bluffed my way into pirate radio by being a nighttime DJ when I was really only a bedroom DJ. Uh, I I managed to get the weather forecast by telling a head of personnel what what he needed what he needed to hear. But it's you have to think on the hoof sometimes. Why wh- why disadvantage yourself 
if you're going to advantage everyone else. Exactly. So I, I felt I felt when I got the job on Pirate Radio that I was doing the right thing to develop as a broadcaster. I was going to benefit and eventually, hopefully, mm. the listener would benefit. When I was doing the weather forecast, I thought, well, I'll run with this. I'll develop it and maybe the viewer will benefit. And, you know, in, in a funny sort of way, it's worked out like that. <laughs> At least I can convince myself of that. (laughs) Exactly. And you were kind of mentioned there beforehand, like, I mean, you, like, were doing physical education. I mean, was this, like, just something that you did on the sideline to be, like, if all else fails, do you know what I mean, this will be something to go on to? Or was this just another kind of route where you're like, you know, maybe if somebody, you know, asked me, you know, can I do some sports reporting? Yeah, I I could say absolutely. I I mean, I'm just trying to to pull in the wires, see where... (laughs) Everything was no, it's there. it's very simple. You were right first time. I became a teacher because I never thought that I would be able to nail down a career in broadcasting. Mm. That was the absolute trick. You had to have something to fall back on. Mm. Now, there was no such thing as a media degree then. There was no such thing as going to university and pursuing this. Yeah. When I took when I told people back at home I wanted to be in the media, you know, you had to explain to people, well, what what do you mean by the media? You know, because <laughs> do you mean newspapers or do you mean radio? What what mm. exactly do, do you mean? And I had this desire to be a radio presenter from I was a teenager in, in the bedroom. And um thankfully I was able to turn it into a career that that was the real trick but you needed something to fall back on and that's why mm. i qualified as a school teacher absolutely and i mean maybe it just lends itself to you i mean do you know what i mean you have to command a classroom you know you had to something i i feel like all those skills kind of still align very much <laughs> with that's true you know, that's true that that's you true. went in through yeah it'd be like you're kids, performing you know, as a teacher you're performing <laughs> exactly yeah i remember even the ones at school being like what are you talking about it's not called PE teacher after but about three, three, four layers out, you know. Yeah, no, we're just going to do laps, you guys, in t-shirts, shorts. You know what I mean? You're just trying to convince people at the end of the day. It's all going to be fine. Yeah, yeah. Maybe that's what, you know, <laughs> led through to that. You're like, well, if I can, if I can blab away into TV, geez, it's, it's going to be grand, yeah. <laughs> but I suppose, like, as well, you were mentioned there at the start, like, it's something that you you always knew you want to be in. I mean, you always had that contingency plan as well, you know, if things didn't work out, but thankfully they did, handy enough. But like, you were saying there about different kind of radio stations, different personalities, different people that you met up through life. Like, it seems that you were very much looped into exactly what was happening around you. But like, was there like any particular inspiration, you know, behind your, you know, broadcasting when you're starting out? Because like, or anybody in particular at that influence, you know, how you kind of went into this? Because as I said, I mean, y- yourself are one of the most, you know, iconic names, iconic even just, you know, how you get on, how you present. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to like say this eloquently, but um, but I'm not really sure if I'm doing a good job. But just if people hear you now, they know Frank. Like, I'm wondering, did you take those, you know, little pieces from, as you're saying, like RT, you know, Radio 4 and stuff like this? Or were you just going into this saying, Frigga, I'm just going to make my own ham out of this? Or Well, at the very beginning, I was probably committing all the cardinal sins. I was trying to be someone else. I was never really being myself because I was so young and I was mimicking other people. That isn't the way to become a broadcaster. But, you know, I was taking bits from Big T, who was on downtown, who was so slick. And I used to think, if only I could be as slick as he is. I remember listening to Andy Peebles on Radio 1 and thinking, if I could get his pace. Um, when I would be involved in, you know, other forms of broadcasting, I was thinking of the amazing descriptions 
that Michal Amorahertik was able to deliver when looking out and seeing a football match. Mm. I, I would have been listening to, you know, Tony Blackburn and wondering about the humour that he was able to weave into what he was doing, or Kerry Wogan, his pace. Yeah. And, you know, it was only years later that I, I realised as I was listening to people like Jerry Anderson, the Lord Reston, one of the greatest broadcasters Ireland ever provided, yeah. that you have, you have to totally be yourself. Jerry Anderson was completely himself. The man you met on the street was exactly the bloke who spoke on the radio. That's why he was possibly the best broadcaster of them all from Ireland. Mm. And, you know, when you can learn from that, you be yourself, and that's, that's when you're going to be at your best. Exactly. Yeah, I suppose... All of those com- combinations, you don't even, you know, realise. It's just everything that you're consuming kind of starts to inform, you know, the way that you get on. But you can't really escape it. Like, I mean, here's me been trying for a while now, but I I, I still don't think I'm going to escape this, you know, whatever kind of frigged up accident it is. I mean, here was me down Armagh, went up to Coleraine to study. So now I've got some weird thing like that down in Dublin. I mean, I, you just can't please it. Do you know what I mean? So that, that's why I decided, yeah, I'm just going to chat to people on the internet. Not going to give them a chance anymore. Yeah, they can come to me. BBC, I, ITV, RT. Yeah, that's it. They can come to me after this. Yeah, that's why I just decided. Well, I, you know, I like your style. I, I, I do. <laughs> you know, there are a variety of skills that you have with personality and zest and ambition. And, you know, you're there's probably like a zany type of television program that you end up presenting as a result of, of what you do. I, I, I suppose someone analysing what you're doing might say, you know, you could ask the question in a shorter frame than, than what you, you do sometimes ask them. You, you go around the houses a wee bit, you know, you pull in at a few laybys, you come back down the road, do a U-turn, and eventually you ask the question. But that's your personality. That is your personality. You know, that's your style, and that's probably why you will be on the telly or on the web doing something that I've missed out on. Absolutely. Do you know what, Frank, I'm feeling a wee bit targeted here, so we're going to move it back. <laughs> no, I'm only messing. But I suppose around from this, before this career in media, um, even though it seems to have linked all the way through that, tell us maybe a wee bit about, I don't know if you had these, I, I'm sure you did, some character building jobs that my father likes to say. Um, usually child labour is like a, a, a more nicer way to call it. Uh, maybe that you had grown up that probably informed, you know, the person you are today. Because as you said, you're... Like, I mean, as far as your personality, I think, like, even sitting down here with you, you're able to chat away instantly. It was that kind of, like, easy connection. But I feel like people that are able to step into that spotlight and able to make those connections with people often have uh, had, you know, some other career paths or some other little part-time jobs here and there growing up that maybe allows them, it forms, informs the kind of personality that they had. To, I don't know if you had many of those kind of jobs or... Well, I never really had a paying job before I went on the pirate radio station. That was my first job. But I carried out tasks that really did help me to realize that life isn't easy and you have to be prepared to work hard. One of them was actually helping my father shop. He sold furniture, he sold televisions, radios, Hmm. sold furniture, carpet, white goods, all of that. There was a lot of hawking weight from the shop to the person's house that had bought the, the item. So, you know, I realized that my father worked very hard. I occasionally helped him and it was a, it was a tough enough gig. He was incredibly helpful to me. He bought me my first proper turntables. He mm. loaned me the car when I had to go to Dundalk. He was very supportive because he realized that there is options or there were options in broadcasting and in entertainment. And if I was showing some ability in that field, he was very supportive. 
Mm. So my reward for working in his shop was I would get the turntables I needed, or indeed I would get a loan of the car. The other thing was I worked on my auntie's farm and I turned hay with a pitchfork and I raked it with a rake. And you know, we, we, we capped cows and I milked cows. And my, my auntie and uncle, they had, uh, or uncles, they'd had an organic approach to farming. Some people might have thought at the time it's an old fashioned approach, but they were way ahead of their time. They weren't using machinery. They were, they actually used a horse and cart when I was young. They, they, um, turned the hay with a pitchfork. They had their own chickens and eggs and all that stuff that people are now going back to now. But mm. they did, they did a lot of hard work, a lot of graft. And my uncles worked on the, on the docks. They came home in the evening. They fed cattle. My auntie milked cows. It was a great education in living on a farm and realizing that work can be tough. So I would be out there turning the hay or, you know, doing something with potatoes or whatever it was that I'd be doing. And I would be at that mimicking that I was telling you about earlier. I was pretending I was, you know, the down football team. I was Colin McAlarney, Paddy Doherty, Sean O'Neill, Tom O'Hare. I was all of those players out in the garden on my own doing the job, in the field on my own. But in my head, I was commentating on the football. I was, you know, might have switched to stopper and I was thinking about Man City, about Glyn Pardew or... You know, I might have been thinking about Mike Summerby or Francis Lee or Joe Corrigan, you know, and I would be in my mind the Man City team, but I'd be commentating on the game, how the ball has been let out to the wing, has been played through to the striker. And forever I was painting pictures in my mind. I didn't realize that what I was doing was I was meeting the requirements, satisfying the need to be a broadcaster, even mm. as a young child. So it, it's it's in there. And you have to allow it to come out. And that's what you were doing with your podcasts. I did it with Pirate Radio. I eventually turned it into a career. So if you have it within you and you want to express it, there are so many platforms now. You don't need Pirate Radio or Hospital Radio. You go on the web and you broadcast, you establish yourself, and you try and make a success of it. Exactly. That's why I was just about to say, Frank. I mean, just we're real trailblazers in the whole scheme of this thing. I mean, I I didn't want to say, but that's essentially what you're calling me right now. And uh, like, I I, I completely understand it. And uh, thank you very much. Uh, No, but like those situations, I find it. You, as you said, working on the farm, working in your dad's shop, stuff like this, even though, as you said, weren't really like paid work. Like, I mean, maybe this is just me being cynical, being like, just guys, you were paid for it. But those things, I feel like very much ground a person into, you know, allowing you to see what, you know, work really is and what life really is. I mean, I was compared to when we were growing up, um, dad would have done the strawberry fields and stuff like that. So um, I remember getting my first job in Domino's Pizza. Um, actually, I was surprised that somebody was going to pay me to work indoors for the first time. So do you know what I mean? It's baby steps. Yeah, it's... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> It makes you more grateful for the next step up. And as you said, you know, from going from the farm, you're new. Yeah, Pirate Radio, grand step up from there. And then away you go. Do you know what I mean? Like, presenting, presenting everything. I mean, school around the corner as well. Gosh, yeah, you're just, the, the world was your oyster and you're, you're having it. Huh? <laughs> well, too, and, you know, the opportunity came along to do school around the corner. Having a background in education was a big plus in that. Mm. And I, it, I did school around the corner for 11, 11 years. I presented a program, the top 10 of everything, which was Ultimate Ulster for three years. I was 10 years on the sofa on UTV Life. And I was on end to end the Gaelic football program for three years with Adrian Logan. These were great opportunities. Mm. But what you need to do 
when you're given the opportunity is to embrace it and to make the most of it. And, you know, I, I look back with a great sense of satisfaction that I was able to, to do that. And I met some incredible people, especially as a features reporter contributing to UTV Life and having people input to, to the program. And so I'm able to look back and, you know, I, I work from the set as many people have reported on in the papers with the Queen and the Duke of Edinburgh on the weather set. I was sent to Dublin to cover the Special Olympics. I got a short interview with Nelson Mandela when no one else got an interview with him. And I, you know, I, I, I remember that moment whenever I was able to feature him on the, the TV and shake his hand at the end of the, the interview. <laughs> I, I, I was twice sent to Dublin for two separate stories where I bummed into Arnold Schwarzenegger. You don't often get that on two separate occasions in two separate years to meet Arnold Schwarzenegger and to do an interview with him. You know, the, the Bono was incredibly approachable on one occasion in Dublin, the only time that I met him and introduced me to Quincy Jones. Um, <laughs> Jamie DeLarge sent me to interview what he described as an up-and-coming writer, and I spent a day with J.K. Rowling. You know, th those are memories you look back on and you think to yourself, wow, did that really happen? Th these little moments, I was um, asked to go to Balahi to go to visit a school mm. and was three hours in the company of Seamus Heaney. It's never ending the people you meet as a result of getting some opportunities mm. in, in the media. And I, um, you know, I'm just so, so, so grateful. Yeah. And I suppose, I mean, <laughs> you're dropping some pretty big names or pretty big moments, but I suppose like, have there been any, I suppose, major, you know, pinch me, like standout moments from all of that, like that, I suppose you never thought could have happened or ne you never imagined once you got into this kind of career, I suppose everything that's kind of happened, you really probably never, you know, thought it. It seems that you've very much just been running with the bulls and, you know, yeah. <laughs> seeing where you've got. But are there any major standout ones? I mean, you're mentioning her. Queen J.K. Rowling, just like, I mean, like, Jesus, like, who, how, how can you pick from that? Or is it all just over the last, you know, your whole career? Has everything just been, everything been a highlight? I don't know. Well, there's been a whole series of highlights. And I, I suppose if you're asked by the boss at work to entertain the queen, you know that that is an opportunity to do something that not everyone gets a chance to do. And the international spotlight is on you for that. Mm. The day I was on the, the set with the queen, it was being taken by the BBC, by Sky, by ITV National, all the outlets. Mm. My cousins in Germany and in Australia were able to tell me that I was with the Queen as quickly as my wife at home was. It was amazing how quickly that went around the world, the Queen being on the weather set. But I think the moment that I look back on as being the time whenever things just were perfect was when I met Nelson Mandela because we were in Dublin doing a story that we knew Nelson Mandela was in Dublin, but we had no access to him whatsoever. I was sent to the American embassy to interview the American ambassador about the Special Olympics. And that was one of the times when Arnold Schwarzenegger turned up, which made it a wonderful day. And Arnold Schwarzenegger introduced me to the Formula One world champion at the time, Damon Hill. So I was doing an interview with Schwarzenegger and Damon Hill whenever a guy from RTE said, you know, there's a buzz that Mandela is going to be in the Four Seasons Hotel. But the RTE chap was heading off to Donnybrook to file his report with mm. uh, Schwarzenegger. So I said to Steve Hanley, my cameraman, let's go around to the Four Seasons and see if there's any sign of Mandela. See if we get a look at him. 
And when we walked up to the door, out through the door came all the members of U2. And Bono stopped and was very gracious and introduced me to, to Quincy Jones, the great American record producer. I'm this chatting gets less Bono believable the more you go on, Frank. <laughs> I'm standing there talking to Bono and Quincy Jones, and I look over Bono's shoulder, and there's Nelson Mandela. Now, he's going into this special room where these uh, children from South Africa are going to be meeting him and doing a special South African dance. Bono gets into the limo. I then walk on up through the hotel with Steve Hanley, the cameraman, and about four very tall, very broad, very strong minders to Mr. Mandela say, no talking to Mr. Mandela. But they presumed we had a right to go into the room, which I didn't have any permission to go into the room. So I went into the room and the kids are dancing with this fabulous South African dance. And I think to myself, listen, I do the old dance here too, the way I would on school around the corner, play along with the kids have a bit of a chat with the kids, and I'll wave my way towards what was a big, almost a throne-like seat that Mandela was on. And when I got right up to him, I said, Mr. Mandela, would you have a message for all the young people taking part in the Special Olympics? And he said to me, I'm not so sure I'm allowed to talk to the media. And I said to him, Mr. Mandela, you can talk to me, Frank from UTV, do you have a message at all? For him? He says, very pleased to meet you, Frank. And he then gave me a few spiels about how wonderful it was to be in Dublin, but out of the corner of my eye, because remember, there are now 60, 70 children blocking mm. me from the minders. The minders are trying to make their way through the children <laughs> without pushing them. <laughs> and I, I said, oh, Mr. Mandela, thank you very much for speaking to UTV Live. And I shake his hand and I said to Steve, French windows, because there's a set of French windows. We can go out through those onto the lawn <laughs> or we can go back out the way. The minders are. They're going to Skip take route, the, ready. They're going to take the tape off us. You know, you don't want to get the tape taken out of the camera. Yeah. So out, out through the French window, and uh, when that went on the TV, even the BBC locally phoned my editor and said, "How the heck did you get the set with Mandela?" So um, that's the thing I'm proudest of. Uh, yeah, when, whenever you're, you know, initially name dropping there, or well, there's, you know, it's saying about, you know, huge people that you met in your time. I didn't realize it was just, just all in one go there. Yeah, just, I mean, maybe, maybe this is why I've been dragged out to Dublin here. Yeah, I'm just expecting to run into Arnold and Bono, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah, Nelson, where, yeah, exactly. Like, who, who knows who's, who's next going to pop around here? I should just start spinning around Donnybrook, maybe. And hopefully, yeah, I'll just find myself in a similar situation. Yeah. Well, I, I, I was lucky that day. I certainly was lucky. I, there was no intention. There was no ambition. Um, there was no hope of meeting the A-listers. I was simply sent down to do the interview with the American ambassador because he was uh, helping to host the event in Dublin. And it, it just spiraled in a way that was beautiful to meet, you mm. know, five, I think five people that day that really, you know, you'd never have the chance of, the chance of beating. But there were other occasions as well. I was in Dublin covering an entirely different story, the opening of Planet Hollywood, which has been and gone in Dublin. And I met, uh, just A-lister after A-lister at mm. that. I remember Schwarzenegger, William Baldwin, Wesley Snipes, um, uh, uh, Sylvester Stallone, uh, Jeremy Irons, they were all there. And then there were people who were like a step down from that, who would turn heads anywhere you would see them. We were just at the party. All the members of Def Leppard, uh, like Boyzone were top of the bill at the time. They were there, girls were screaming outside. So it was a never-ending supply of megastars who were in the building. But I was just there as a reporter. 
Yeah. And amazingly, the owners of Planet Hollywood said to the reporters afterwards, if you leave your cameras and microphones outside, you can come into the party. And I thought, wow, that's brilliant. So I went into the party and I realized there were young people giving out pizza. And if you reached for a slice of pizza, every other hand that was reaching was a very famous person. Yeah. And I was chatting to people like the Taoiseach was there and Dave Bourne was there. And I was thinking to myself, this is amazing. Every, I, I recognize everybody in this room. And at one point I reached for a slice of pizza and Sylvester Stallone was also taking a slice. And he was chatting to me just like a very friendly fella. But what I didn't realize was he chatted to me quite a bit because he misunderstood. He thought that I was provided by the public relations company to show him back to his own hotel. <laughs> he, he, he knew he'd seen me somewhere. I'd interviewed him earlier, you see. So he knew he'd seen me somewhere, but he wasn't sure that he didn't know who I was. So he was mistaking me for somebody else. And during the conversation, he said to me, in that Sylvester Stallone voice that I won't try and do, he said, I think I'll go back to the hotel. And um, I, I, I didn't want to say, which hotel? I, I said, um, sure, uh, uh, Sylvester. Um, when do you want to go back? He said, just you could walk me back now. So... I'm now going out. <laughs> I'm now going out of the Planet Hollywood, and I realise that it is the hotel, which is like like three or four streets away, and there's a lot of activity around it. And he's walking in the direction of it, and I'm walking in the direction of it, chatting to him. And we turn a corner, and we meet two like Dublin drunks. Is the only way of describing it. Mm. And they stop right in front of myself and Stallone, and one of them says, "Jesus, it's Rambo." And the other one says, Rambo, my arse, that's Rocky. And he, you know, Stallone started to laugh, walks past them. I get him back as far as the hotel, and he puts his hand in his pocket, and he shoved 20 euro into my top <laughs> pocket and says, thanks, kid. I disappeared up the steps. So, you know, um, that, that, that's a great memory as well. But, you know, he, he Stallone had no idea who was giving... 20 euro to so, so, some, some, some fella just doing him a favor. That's, his, that's the impact I made on Planet Hollywood. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, when opportunity arises, Frank, you, re- you really don't miss it. Yeah, oh, you need back to hotel, not a bar at all. And then, sure, that's your taxi home, grand. You're like, cheers, thanks for that. <laughs> oh, true, true, true. Yeah, and I know, obviously, like, these have all been big standout moments and, I mean, obviously those are great and stuff like this, but like, it's not kid ourselves. I mean, interviews, here we are. I mean, you had to, you know, had had to pick some lowland fruit before he got up here, right? Let, let, let's be realistic now. Like, I mean, God, I think we can both agree this is probably the pinnacle of uh, what whatever is going to really happen. I mean... That's what all my guests usually say anyways. I, I usually, I mean, I know, I don't know. I'm not, I hope I'm not putting words in your mouth. You, not at all, not at all. I, I'm doing a few other interviews uh, in the near future on the back of having recently retired from UTV. And I, I wouldn't be at all surprised if they do ask me about highlights. And, you know, I, I always say, and I, this is very important, you know, I do say that working with the, the children in school around the corner was a highlight doing any feature in anyone's home and being invited into a home was, was a highlight. The very fact that people allow you to come down the, the, the camera into their front room and be uh, watched on their television is an honor. Um, and then you get all these bounces from it that we've listed there, whether it be the Queen or Nelson Mandela or Stallone or Schwarzenegger or Bono or J.K. Rowling 
or and I met me Hollemer Hartick as well and sat beside him in Croke Park while we both commentated on 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 football and I couldn't believe that I had the opportunity to do it. All of those things, you know, it's, it's just a never-ending parade of mm. fabulous memories. But the next time I'm interviewed, I will say the highlight was talking to Connor Finn. Uh, <laughs> Frank, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, I, I feel like it's only fair. I mean, realistically, yeah. Thank <laughs> I, like, I, I didn't want to presume, but you, you have said it and it is on record now. So we do have it there. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for coming on to show. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm only joking. But I suppose from those... Are you, are you joking? Are you, I thought you... <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm in custody now. <laughs> I thought you were serious. I thought you were saying, Frank, you can definitely go and have your tea. <laughs> no, you're not out of the woods yet. You not? No, no, but I suppose, like, from, as you said, those ridiculously, you know, just you find yourself in situations with these LSers, huge people that, you know, everybody's looked up to in their lives, you know what I mean? Global superstars. And you find yourself in these situations that nobody else finds themselves in. Have there been on the opposite end of the coin, I suppose, any, it doesn't really sound like there should be, but any major horror stories, I suppose, from working in this street. I don't know if, I mean, this man, you know, said out, yeah, he can do the radio, he can do the weather, he can do school around the corner. Have there been any things maybe that have put you down that you went, oh, grinding your teeth a bit going, mm, perhaps this isn't what I was actually signing up for, but here we are now. <laughs> well, you know, I, I'll tell you one story about St. Patrick's Day in Belfast when Girls Aloud had just become famous and they were in Belfast as joint star acts for the St. Patrick's Day entertainment. And I was sent to cover it. This is not long ago. It's maybe a decade or so ago. But I'm there. And the other person who would have been equally top of the bill because there were kids there to see Girls Aloud and there were other people there to see Shane McGowan. And, you know, it was a big bill and it was incredible entertainment. And the city was packed. Mm. And I interviewed Girls Aloud and they were all lovely. And it was just a fantastic uh, bit of interaction and worked beautifully on TV. But I then saw arriving at side of the stage, Shane. And I went over with the microphone and the cameraman and I said, hi, Shane. And he looked at me and he looked at me like as if he was looking for me. He was absolutely, you know, in a position where I'm surprised he was able to go on and perform as brilliantly as he did. Hmm. But I said, Shane, um, how do you feel about sharing the bill with Girls Aloud? And he says, go and bleep yourself. And that's, that's all he said. I'm not going to use the word. <laughs> he, he, he used Too much it. a prof- professional. I, that, I, I that wish was, I could censor myself as much. <laughs> that was my shortest superstar interview. Jim, um, go and yourself. <laughs> so, end of story. That was that was the only one that did, that didn't that didn't work. Um, everyone else has been incredibly incredibly uh, pleasant, uh, with one one uh, exception. I remember being really disappointed by a person who I saw as a hero uh, being very grumpy. And that was the Manchester City manager, Malcolm Allison, many, many, many years ago was a guest on the telly show. And I was a big fan of Malcolm Allison. And he was in makeup and I was probably just starting in in TV. Mm. I was there at the same time. And he was sitting quietly waiting to go to the, the... 
um, studio. There was no um, interruption or anything like that. And mm. I said, Alison, very nice to meet you. And I said, really? And just looked down again at his, at his, um, you know, whatever he was doing. He didn't even have a newspaper. He just looked down again. He was totally dismissive. Totally dismissive. And, you know, all I wanted to do, I was probably going to ask him for an autograph. You know, I was a big fan. I was only a kid. I was, well, I was in my early twenties. Um, he was to me someone who I had looked up to in sporting terms. And he, you know, he just was just rude. So that was, you know, those are the only two examples that I can think of in the literally hundreds of people from, you know, Joe's and Josephine's that I've interviewed in the street on a box pop right through to Nelson Mandela and the Queen, um, <laughs> who have been, there's only two people who've been remotely unpleasant. One was Shane McGowan and one was Malcolm Allison. So um, I, I, that's been a series of wonderful experiences the whole way through. And I think it's all about the approach. You know, if you approach people in a polite and friendly way, they will mm. retort in a polite and friendly way. And you very often find that, you know, there's a bit of a, an aura about massive stars that you tend to think, oh, you can't approach them. It's actually easy enough to approach them. Sometimes the minders are more difficult than the stars. Mm. And I find people right across the spectrum to be very, very pleasant. So I'm, I'm giving 99.99% thumbs up to all the people that I've met. <laughs> I'm sure they'll be delighted with that as well. God. I'm, sure, I'm sure they will. But but when all... I say, but this is important, when I say all the people, I include the most important people, those who you box pop in the street, those who have a minor contribution to make to a very small mm. story. We can't do television or radio without them. The people who film the radio program, the people who take part in the show, they are vital. They are the lifeblood. They are the, 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 the wagon that carries you. The, the cherry on the cake occasionally is the superstar or the, the, the royal. Mm. The people who carry you through on a daily basis, they are the people who need the biggest thank you. Absolutely. And I mean, but as you said there, I mean, 99.9, .9, there's always room for improvement, um, which maybe brings me on to, <laughs> sorry, I could not do it, uh, which maybe brings me on to, you know, the final question here you were i'm sure you'll be glad i can see you obviously sweating out itching i'm really putting you under the spotlight now tonight but um we've been talking about this huge career that you've had looking at all the past the highs lows and all in betweens but i suppose looking towards the future what i mean does the future hold for you frank like are there any big goals i suppose that you want achieved that achieve yet that you haven't or I mean, like, really, where is there, you know, to you know, go from here? Are there any bucket list things that you still want to take off? I don't know. Who, 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 what else is there to do, really, then? Or are you looking forward to just, as you said, enjoying your evenings without being, you know, absolutely just uh, dr dragged through the mud by some child on the internet? Uh <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, I'm delighted to still be working on phone and radio. I loved it when I was 15. And I'm loving it now when I'm galloping towards my sixties. I, I, I am in a position where I'm doing the best job that anyone could be offered to do. I absolutely love doing the radio. I also loved doing television, but I was going to run out of steam mm. when the voluntary redundancy opportunity came up. Some of the people, I suppose, more senior in years saw it as the right thing to do. I decided to 
take the step to break from television. I loved working on TV. I look back with an immense amount of fondness on it. But I also have to remember that I'm not any younger than I, I'm not getting any younger. Um, as you get older, you realize, you know, you can't be driven by ambition all the time. You have to just take it a wee bit handier, enjoy what's around you, be on the hills, have a walk, be in Donegal when COVID allows and be by the beach and relax. I, you know, pursue the hobbies, the garden, something I like doing. I know I'm sounding a bit like a very old man to you now, but I do, I do want to take it just a little bit easier. Individual projects come up. If people, you know, offer me something and uh, it's along the lines of broadcasting or pursuing uh, something in that realm, of course I'll consider it, but I'm not going to be going to, to look for it. I've got absolutely everything that I, I want and I, I look back with immense fondness on the journey the whole way through. I suppose, yeah, Jesus. I mean, what what better answer can you get from that? Um, I mean, honestly, you make it sound so appealing. I reckon I might as well just give up now. Do you know what I mean? Set myself out in the coast for a wee bit. Like, that whole hustle and bustle game, Jesus. He really needs it, honestly. Like, Nancy Mandela, all those other ones. They'll come in time. Do you know what? Yeah, yeah. They'll, they'll, they'll turn up on a podcast somewhere. Forget, somebody else can do the hard work. Yeah, like, I'll... I'll do something else for a wee bit. It's too much stress, honestly. Yeah, 22 here, by the way. I know you wouldn't, wouldn't guess that. I mean, yeah, just barely kicking into the 30s, really. Um, <laughs> what do you do? What do you do apart from these very lengthy podcasts? <laughs> you know, what, what is it? I always I don't know what you're talking about. It's very I, short form for me. <laughs> I, I feel as if I'm sitting here in my own home while I'm talking to you and you've sent someone to burgle the house I, I can't get away from the interview in case I, I, I catch your mate up the stairs so you're absolutely right what else do you do apart from these detailed podcasts Oh, that's absolutely it, Frank. This, uh, this, the life and blood of the party. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> no, no, I'm, uh, trying to almost actually, funny enough, that's why I'm trying to get into that doing the podcast initially was, um, to build up a bit of portfolio to hopefully follow in footsteps of people like yourself, um, and other just interesting people in the world. And, and also, uh, just to, realistically during covid speak to people that are outside my household just for a bit of sanity reasons um realistically but um no outside of this yeah i'm pursuing pursuing the media career um which uh was uh going grand until covid yanked it very quickly so i decided you know what i'm just gonna lock people in their homes for about an hour and completely rip the hour side in an interview and see how far i get with it so no and i've no doubt you will you will you'll be a success because you also need to be on camera a lot you personally this is my advice to you because mm. your face speaks. Some people don't have that. I, I often thought that I didn't have that. You know, that, you know, I, I'll do my best, but my goodness, I'd just like to look a bit better on the screen. Uh, you know, whereas, you, you know, you, you remind me, actually, you remind me a lot of Morrissey. You're familiar with Morrissey? You know, yeah, I, 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 you know, Mar- sorry, did you just compare me to Marty Morrissey? <laughs> no, 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 no. Marty Morrissey is a different icon altogether. Marty Morrissey is one of our. I know I have a big forehead, but Jesus, no. come on, Frank. Marty Morrissey, Marty Morrissey, Marty is one of Ireland's leading broadcasters, and neither of us could lace his boots. Now that that's that's let's say that. I said, you look like Morrissey. Morrissey is the lead singer of the Smiths. And you have that look about you. 
But I think you have to be seen on camera. You have to go out and display your words as well as the banter that you have. And I would say, you know, three to five years from now, uh, a thin interview will be something that will be part and parcel of a CV. We'll say, I've already done a thin interview. And mm. it will count in your favor if you want to be successful. And I'm going to jot it down and tell people in the future, I've already done a thin interview, so I've ticked all the boxes now. Exactly. Do you know what I mean? That's what I've always said. I mean, people like yourself, I mean, Graham Norton, he's going to be getting off that red couch very soon. And Jesus, do you know what I mean? I'm just a flight away. It'll be grand. Absolutely. <laughs> no, honestly, just before we wrap up, I know you're going, Jesus Christ, what else is there to do? But I was trying to very much just jot down some last little bits. I just don't want to leave any stones unturned here. But um, I was hoping I have about five words, phrases that um, if you're up for it, doing a bit of a word association, if you're very much have two minutes left. All right. <laughs> <laughs> the terror behind your eyes speaks volumes. Um, <laughs> so it's just whatever comes into mind first. I mean, word phrase, it's up to yourself, but um, they're just they're just things I've jotted down whilst you're doing this um, and some of them just otherwise. Um, so maybe just uh, kick it off with Born Point. Beautiful place. Um, Nelson Mandela. <laughs> <laughs> it's not gonna, I, I, I don't think you can listen to this, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> it's gone now, Jesus. <laughs> There are so many ways to describe one of the world's icons. Word association, Frank. It's a... (laughs) (laughs) French windows. (laughs) School around the corner. (laughs) It's still the same. (laughs) Uh, BBC. Excellent. (laughs) Excellent television service. (laughs) Jesus. Um, Sylvester Stallone. My mate. <laughs> U105. The most outstanding broadcasting platform that anyone can work on. Join me tomorrow morning, 9 to noon. Whatever you wish to say, you can say it. Lines open 02890, treble 31105. Don't worry, I'll cut that one. Um, Malcolm Nelson. <laughs> Disappointed. And finally, Finterviews. <laughs> Nothing like I expected. The man is mad, but I am quite sure that he will be a future star. <laughs> well, Frank, Ozzy, thank you so much for taking out the time on your Wednesday. I hope this wasn't too much of a painful experience. I know it probably caught you a bit off guard of where that was going to go, but you know what? I mean, bucket list ticked off. I was asking you what you were going to do. At least this one's done and dusted, so you don't have to go back to this. Um, but honestly, as you're saying, they're like, I mean, I was about to say, where can people find you? This is usually for a thing of socials, but literally just tune in and we'll hear you. I mean, you've already done your plug in there. Um, on a shame. So, <laughs> um, honestly, thank you so much. I did say this at start, but I reach out to people without any kind of real, any shame, honestly, <laughs> um, and just hope that they come on to show. So, getting yourself um, and other people, you know, that I've been looked up to for such a long time and having chats with them makes this just so much worthwhile so honestly from sincerely i can't thank you enough for coming on and yeah chatting away to me i just appreciate it so much honor it's a pleasure thank you very much for asking me and i hope your career goes from strength to strength <laughs> if not i'll call my way back up 
<laughs> but here, Frank, go enjoy. Lovely summer evening. And yeah, I wish you all the best. Have a good one, all right? Cheers, boy. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Venture Views. Do remember, if you enjoyed this interview with Frank, maybe you enjoyed some of the other ones, do give us a like, share, comment, subscribe, and a five-star rating on whatever listening platform you're on. Honestly, all that stuff really does help. And you can also follow the podcast on socials. I'm on everything. Yep, <laughs> quite literally everything at the moment. So literally, if you just type in Finterviews online, Finterviews podcast, you'll find me somewhere. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, TikTok, all of those, you'll find me there. And you can even get in touch and let me know who you would like to hear on the podcast next. Until next time, I'll say thank you so much again for tuning in and I'll chat to you later. Bye.